Ladies and gentlemen of Lafayette. The Hammered Down Show with Jared Jesolitis is Lafayette's number one sports show. Yes, I'm excited! He totally went to Jared. The voice of Lafayette sports. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. Send us your thoughts on the text line at 765-447-4080. Now go to that voodoo that you do somewhere. New sports in a little bit. Uh, you know, women's basketball is coming up this week. Track and field is doing a, they got a clothing drive going on through this. So we got some stuff to talk with Caitlin about. And, uh, I, I gotta remember on Twitter to choose words more wisely. I had a take. It's not really even a take. It was just a point that I made last night about Braden Smith that I thought was completely valid. I went back. I read it again. I read it four or five more times. I can understand how some folks might have taken it the wrong way. I guess. I get it. Not my intention. But we'll clear, I'm going to clarify it. I think everybody knows I'm a pretty pro Purdue guy. I'm certainly not anti Braden Smith. We had Brian Newbert on the show Friday. Was it Friday I had him on here? I talked about how these people in the national media and even the Big Ten media, you know, snowed over this guy. And they look like bozos for doing it. So yeah, I gotta, I gotta defend. Might be the wrong word for it. It's just a point that I made. I will clarify it. But some people on Twitter are all like, "Hey, kind of getting at me about it." I don't know. I, I, I got a little defensive about it because I, I think it just, I, I, I thought I made a just a. An easy point. I wasn't trying to die on a hill or anything like that. I feel like I had to. I feel like I had to defend my post there. So uh, I'll, I'll do that to a degree. But it's more clarification than defend. I feel like we'll see how it plans out. It pans out here. Let's get started. It's need to know news time. Here's your need to know news. All right, Fred McCaffrey goes FranCon one early in that one, and uh, I mean, didn't even make it halfway through the first half before he got teed up. And Purdue lays waste to the Hawkeyes, eighty-seven to sixty-eight, the final. And that was like a thirty-point game at one point. Yeah, it got ugly. Zach Eady, twenty-five points, twelve boards, three blocks. Lance Jones had himself a game, that's for sure. Especially in the second half, seventeen total points. Mason Gillis off the bench. Two for three from three. He had 12 points. I thought, and this was just an absolutely insane stat. That Purdue, and shout out to Cobra Stats for posting this. Purdue scored on 16 straight trips down the court. 34 points across nine minutes of game time. 2.125 2.125 points per possession. That's insane. <laughs> Wild stat. Uh, the Boilermakers have now won eight of their last ten games against Isle. Oddly enough, 
have been outscored by Iowa in the second half in seven straight games. That just goes to show you where, you know, Iowa's been digging out of a hole. Iowa 40th in Ken Palm, so Purdue is now 5-1 this season in games against the Ken Palm Top 50. No other team in America has more than three wins against the Top 50. Purdue off to Toronto, eh? Saturday to face Alabama. Four Boilermakers accounting for five America Volleyball Coaches Association Northeast All-Region Honors. Chloe Shacoin, she's good. Northeast Region Freshman of the Year. Raven Colvin, Eva Hudson, and Shacoin both selected as uh, All-Region and Maddie Shermerhorn Honorable Mention Accolades. It is the second consecutive year that a Boilermaker was named Regional Freshman of the Year. It's kind of a big deal. Uh, the uh, Pacers last night into the semifinals of the in-season tourney. They beat the Celtics 122-112. to Halliburton tripped double. 26 points, 10 rebounds, 13 assists. Uh, they're going to play tonight's winner of the Bucks and Knicks on Thursday night. Not great news for Purdue football here. They received uh, word that their number two overall High school commit, four-star wide receiver Keandre Henry is decommitting. Quote, for right now, I'll be taking time for myself to make sure I'm making the right decision for me. These last six months haven't been the best for me. But I will like to say thank you to Purdue University for all the support y'all have shown me. Purdue is still a top choice for me. I'm just taking time for everything until signing day, December the 20th. Now, Purdue does have three more wide-out commitments in Shamar Ray, Tamar, uh, Tamar Harris, and Jesse Watson. According to On3, Henry's the second-highest-rated commitment in the class of 2024. But your number one commitment in the class, Ohio State decoy Beasley announced he's taking an official visit to Syracuse this weekend. Not great. Bad news for the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence went down last night. Jags end up losing to the Bengals in OT. Sounds like he might be okay long-term, but he may be out for a couple of weeks. That's good news, though, for the Colts with that loss, because now that muddies the playoff picture a little bit more. And it also brings the South Championship in the full. Jacksonville holds the four seed at 8-4. and four. That's just one game over the Colts, but they did sweep Indy. Steelers hold number 5, followed by Cleveland, then Indy for that last spot. They're all at 7-5. and Houston sitting at 7-5. and And now Denver, Cincinnati, and Buffalo are all at 6-6. Six and six. Colts with a 56% chance now to make the playoffs, according to ESPN. Colts will finish out the year with a couple of those teams, including the Bengals, the Steelers, the Falcons, the Raiders, and the Texans. I, who, who does, uh... I didn't check who Jacksonville has. The nice thing for Indy is they got a couple of those teams they can eliminate off the list with wins. Jacksonville has to go to Cleveland. They're at home against the Ravens. They're at the Buccaneers. They're at home against the Panthers. And then they're at the Titans. Uh, Okay, let's say no Lawrence. It's not impossible to win at the Browns. You probably don't win at home against the Ravens without him. At the Bucks will be somewhat tough. You should be able to win at home against the Panthers, and you should be able to win at the Titans. 
There's a window there for the Colts. It's not a very big one, though. Tonight, Blackhawks take on the Predators at home, 8.30. Big Ten hoops tonight, loaded with some good games here. Illinois takes on 11th-ranked Florida Atlantic in Madison Square Garden as part of the Jimmy V Classic this evening. Wisconsin heads to Michigan State. Badgers, a five-and-a-half-point road dog. And Indiana will head to Michigan, where the Wolverines are seven-and-a-half-point favorites, which is crazy because that actually opened up as Indiana minus one-and-a-half. So we got some work to do tonight here. On the betting cart. Last night, man, Lawrence going down, killed that parlay. We had everything except for that Jaguars win, and yeah, that kind of stuck. Not much you can do about it. We were looking good, and then disaster strikes. But hey, we hit all those parlay legs. We hit all those uh, those legs on the uh, Purdue game last night. I told you that under was that over under was shady. All those stats from the season say the over, but if you looked at the history, thing goes traditionally under. So we're ready to get back after it again tonight here. Um, three games in the Big Ten tonight. And it's the one non-Big Ten conference game that stands out to me. And that's Illinois plus two right now in Madison Square Garden against Florida Atlantic. So, Florida Atlantic Owls may be without Nick Boyd, who is averaging you know double double figures for them. Owls also allow opponents to shoot thirty two percent from behind the three point arc. Illinois, not the greatest offense. But FAU seems like you can take advantage of them. Where you really take advantage of FAU here, if you're Illinois tonight, is on the glass. It's the one thing that Illinois does better than almost everybody in the nation right now. They out-rebound everybody. And Illinois uh, only really has to contend with the one seven-footer, and that's it. So I, I do not see a whole lot of second-chance opportunities for Florida Atlantic tonight. We're, we're playing in Madison Square Garden, so neutral site. Illinois can get hot from three against a team that doesn't defend the three-point line that well. And on top of that, Illinois very strong defensively. I think the wrong team is favored in this one. I just I, I like Illinois here. Now Illinois doesn't get to the line very much. Owls do. Does that worry me? Eh, a little bit. But Illinois is fifteenth in free throw attempt rate defensively. I just feel like Illinois is a little bit better equipped here in this one. They're used to these bigger stages on top of that. Owls are good. I just think the defense of Illinois frustrates them enough tonight. We're talking, I got two points earlier here. So I just think the Illinois defense wins out. I'm banking on defense on a neutral court. 
That's the way we're going with it. So that's the first one I want to take. Um, the prognosticators are telling you to take the under 132 in Wisconsin and Michigan State. I have a little bit of a problem with that one. Mainly because you go over the last five meetings between these two and they have eclipsed that number every time. I don't like that. But the Spartans may be without... They're not going to have Tyson Walker, right? And I think Malik Hall's out again tonight. Both these teams are pretty slow. Badgers ranked 318th in adjusted tempo, averaged 19.6 seconds per possession on offense. They forced 17 seconds on defense, while the Spartans, very similar, ranked 314th in adjusted tempo on offense. 17 seconds per possession on offense, 17.7 seconds on defense. Spartans are only shooting 26.9% from three-point range. That's 314th and three-point attempt rate. Michigan State, 167th in open three rate per shot quality and 335th in rim and three rate as well. I just don't have the offense right now. Wisconsin's not exactly lighting it up from behind the arc either. Badgers rank 191 and finishing at the rim, 176. But their Ken Palm rating in offense is like top 20, isn't it? And there's always these little things that you can go into. They think it's going to be a lower scoring one. I would tell you this, if you look at their last five meetings, even the, the one time they go under this is because they're playing uh, a neutral site game in the Big Ten tournament. Not to mention, each of the last five games between Wisconsin and Michigan State have produced at least a total of 132. They did, uh, was this 134 in their last meeting in January? 132 at the neutral site. 132 uh, back at Michigan State in 2022. 160. And 161. But that's now we're getting back to 2020. So it's right there. That's what they're telling you to take. I don't want to mess with it. Uh, Wisconsin again here too. The underdog. Five and a half points. Crazy that you're going to be getting points, but you're going into Michigan State, a desperate Michigan State team that needs to get some momentum going here. Gut play tells me I want to go with Wisconsin, but I'm not ready to buy into them yet, and I'm still not really sure where Michigan State is. I'm maybe just straight up avoiding this one. If so, I did tease it with uh, with a couple of the other Big Ten games, and I think the UConn game, and I took more points with Wisconsin. I don't think Wisconsin loses by double digits at Michigan State. And then finally... Michigan and Indiana. This thing scares the heck out of me because of just how quickly that line has moved from Indiana minus one and a half to Indiana plus seven. Here's the thing with Michigan you need to understand tonight. 
16 games. The last 16 that they have been the favorite since last season. They've won 11, they've covered 10. Point being, points haven't mattered when Michigan is the favorite. They either win outright and cover, or they lose outright. They don't have to, that's the only other way it goes. They don't win and not cover. They either cover it or they lose it. So if you want to get in on that, best of luck. I think the Illinois game has the clear edge this evening. If you want to add in a couple of those other Big Ten legs, best of luck to you. I'm probably just sticking with the Illinois game and then that little teaser uh, that I threw together uh, earlier there. We're going to take a break. Don't worry. Coming right back. Bobby Riddell, he's next. Stick around. Plenty more Hammer Down Show on 1017 The Hammer. 101. Welcome back. It is the Hammer Down Show, 1017 The Hammer, 1017thehammer.com. We're going to pop on over to the Blue Fox Heating and Cooling Hammerhead Hotline. We're going to bring on our good buddy here, uh, Bobby Buckets. Bobby Riddell is on with us here, the Harrison Raider legend, and also uh, one part of the uh, radio broadcast team along with Rob Blackman. Always does such a great job. Bobby, great to have you back on the program as always. It's always nice being able to talk about a win uh, the next day here, of course, uh, Purdue taking it to Iowa last night. Didn't take Fran long to hit Fran Con one and get teed up. Um, that was uh, an interesting choice to uh, of a call to lose it to. But hey, that's neither here nor there. Uh, Purdue rolls in this one. It was like thirty points at one point, and you know Purdue kind of took their foot off the proverbial throat there towards the end, and it got a little bit closer. But I mean, you couldn't ask for a much better response to what happened on Friday than the performance you got in Mackey last night. Hey, Jared. Yeah, first off, thanks for having me on. And, yeah, I completely agree. You know, you played a team last night in Iowa who's a really good offensive team. has got a lot of guys who can put the ball in the basket. They had four guys who had scored 20 points or more in a game coming into last night. And so after having, you know, a poor defensive performance by our standards at Northwestern uh, to be able to bounce back last night and, you know, keep those guys for Iowa under wraps the majority of the game uh, and to build that substantial lead and then kind of cruise to the finish was definitely a nice response after taking the loss in Evanston. Yeah, uh, 87-68, to 68, uh, that final, you know, you knew Purdue was going to shoot well in this because Iowa just does not play good defense, but I think you touched on I think Purdue's defensive effort, uh, it gets a little overshadowed when you shoot 52%, uh, but uh, I, defensively, you're right, uh, that really stood out for me. Uh, they contested a lot of shots. Iowa just shot 38% from the field. Uh, it was a great night for them on the defensive side of the ball. It really was. I thought we were more active flying around on the defensive side. Obviously, uh, you know, Lance Jones picks up a couple early fouls, and he's probably our best perimeter defender, so you didn't like to see that. But then I felt, you know, a guy like Ethan Morton came in and you know was pretty active on the defensive end, getting some deflections, uh, which, which was nice to see. You know, he didn't play a ton at Northwestern, so it was good to see him get an opportunity and – you know, make an impact on the defensive side of the ball. But I think, in fairness, we also have to admit that, um, you know, Boo Booey doesn't play for Iowa. <laughs> and, you know, he's a really talented player, and he played at a really high level against us in Evanston. And when great players play great, sometimes you're just in a tough spot, right? And I think good offense beats good defense the majority of the time in basketball. And, uh, unfortunately for us, Boo Booey got it going and hit a lot of tough shots. And I don't think Iowa has anyone uh, 
at the caliber of Boo Booey. And obviously, you're playing in Mac Arena versus playing in Evanston on the road at Northwestern. So that's always going to play a part. But I think part of our better defense also is probably uh, aided by the fact that, you know, Northwestern's guards, I think, overall are better than uh, Iowa's guards. You know, you, you go back to that one and, uh, on Friday night, and of course, coming into it, said like, you couldn't, you, you you needed to hang in there in the guard battle. We knew Boo Boo was going to be good, but you also needed to not turn the ball over, and uh, you know that reared its ugly head. Uh, Braden Smith had six in that one uh, in, in the uh, turnover categories, and a really big meltdown from uh, small pockets of the fan base here. They're loud, uh, but in. When you look at it, Bobby, I mean, it was a road loss to a quad one team. I don't think anybody reasonably thought this team was going to roll completely undefeated all the way through March. You knew you were going to get got somewhere in the Big Ten season at least. Um, and to be honest with you, in a, in a conference where we're still trying to figure out, too, who was the second and third best team here, I thought Northwestern was one of those teams that could be a candidate to be like a top three team in the Big Ten, I just I, I didn't see a lot of the shame that some of these other fans did in in that loss. You didn't play as well as you wanted to. Don't get me wrong, but still, uh, the overreaction going into Saturday was I don't know about you, but it it was loud, man, for some un, unknown reason. It was terrible. I couldn't agree more with your take there. I think you know. You know, if you play really poorly and the other team plays really poorly and you still get beat, you know, then I think you have a lot more uh, reason to be frustrated. But in this case, you played against a really solid Northwestern team that brought back five of their top seven guys from an NCAA tournament team last year, including, you know, all Big Ten level fifth year senior point guard and Boo Booey. And they brought in a transfer from Princeton, Ryan Langborg, who uh, is a really quality player, played well in the NCAA tournament last year for Princeton. And, and so they have a lot of nice pieces. You're on the road, and, and you play the team on that night, and to your point, we did not play our best, and some of the ability for Northwestern to play as well as they did, some of that is on us from a perimeter defense standpoint. But overall, Northwestern played one of their better games of the season. They had three guards, all shoot the ball extremely well at the same time. And those guys are on scholarship too, right? So sometimes you just have to tip your cap and – you know, to think that those guys all played that well and you still just barely lost in overtime, I think that's a testament to how good we are as a team, that even when we don't play our best, you know, it's going to take a special effort for most teams to beat us. Um, and so I think that's a good sign for Purdue moving forward, that when we're not at our best, uh, we're still going to be able to play with people. And, you know, when it comes down to it, when the season matters most in March, you're probably going to have a game or two in that tournament where you don't play your best. And obviously it would help if the team you're playing against on that same day also does not play their best, but you're just going to have to find a way to win some of those close games because every team that pretty much makes a run to the Final Four uh, has a game or two where they're not at their best and it's a close game and they just find a way to make a couple plays. And honestly, similar to how it was in Maui for us, right? We won a couple of games in Maui uh, where we did not play our best, but we just found a way to win and We'll just have to uh, see how that plays out in March. But hopefully we're playing our best in March and you play well in a lot of games in a row. And then, you know, you don't even have to worry about that stuff. But time will tell. We're talking with Bobby Riddell here on the Blue Fox Eden Cooling Hammerhead Hotline. I want to talk about Lance Jones for a second. Uh, everybody was enthralled with just how much fun this guy is having out there in the, in the second half. Of course, he has the inbound, goes off the guy's back, puts it in. 
I mean, he's hitting a three and bouncing up and down. I, people forgot Matt Painter yanked him early in the middle part of that uh, first half and didn't let him back in at the end of that first, sending him a message. I think it was on the the one turnover he had. It was a bad uh, kind of uh, dumping pass to Zach Eady, and I feel like Matt Painter was trying to send him a, a, a message about what he was doing, and it seemed like message was received because he came in and he made the most out of his second half minutes, but uh, I, I don't think uh, maybe you noticed it. He didn't play a large chunk of the second part of that first half at all. Well, he did pick up that second foul um, in transition when he was guarding Tony per- or but Bert Perkins or Bowen. So I think that uh, was probably the biggest piece of why he didn't play a substantial amount to end that first half was coaches protecting him with the foul trouble. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously turnovers were a big piece, and he had a, a bad one early in that game where he overthrew uh, Zach by a substantial margin. And if you overthrow Zach by a substantial margin, that's obviously uh, definitely a ball that got away from him. So. Uh, yeah, I don't think Coach was happy with that early turnover, but I think the large majority of the reason he sat out a bunch at the end of the first half was the foul trouble. But uh, either way, the set, the way he started off that second half, I mean, he took the halftime lead from 21 uh, to 30 by the first media timeout, and it was darn near single-handedly uh, the Lance Jones show in that first four minutes of the second half. His ability to hit threes, get to the rim. Uh, of course, he had that really fun play on the out-of-bounds play where he threw it off the defender's back who wasn't uh, paying attention and had his back to the uh, inbounder. So he was electric to start that second half. And I just love, you know, you kind of talked about his swagger a little bit and some of the the way he carries himself when he plays. I, I do think that was an element this team needed. Uh, we have a lot of really heady, stoic guys, but I think you also need some swagger and some confidence too at times. And I think he... Uh, is a nice missing piece from that standpoint for us. Um, you know, he's he's a guy like he doesn't shoot the ball well at Northwestern, has a tough game offensively, gets in foul trouble, and a lot of guys who maybe struggle with confidence would let that carry over to the next game. Well, you know, you saw with Lance that he didn't let that carry over from one game to the next. He was able to really respond, played with a lot of confidence still, stepped up and hit shots, got to the rim, set up his teammates, had a really nice drive and lob pass to Zach Eady. Um, after I think we broke the press one time. And, and so he was just a welcome sight. And obviously he's a really good perimeter defender. It helped uh, that he was able to uh, play the majority of that start of the second half and help disrupt those Iowa guards. I want to talk a little bit about uh, coaches here because one of the storylines I think got mentioned, I think Brian Newbert's talked about it a little bit, but we really haven't gotten into it. And you've been around so many of these uh, coaches in your time at Purdue, but you know, P.J. Thompson's up calling the offenses now. I, I, I find that to be a, a pretty big deal because not every coach, head coach is going to let somebody do that, but him in particular being a player there, and we've seen uh, just a number of painter assistants move on and become head coaches. Uh, tell me what you think about uh, P.J. as an assistant. Clearly you know uh, how good he was as a player, but uh, talk a little bit about uh, him and uh, what your thoughts are on him and how much longer you think uh, he'll still be here as a as a boilermaker as a, on that uh, coaching staff. Sure, yeah. I've been really impressed with uh, P.J. Thompson, you know, as his time here, you know, in particularly this season, but just uh, the last handful of years that I've been doing the radio that I've been able to be fortunate to be around the team uh, on a closer level. I've been really impressed. I was impressed with him as a player too, just the way he carried himself and how hard he played. And you know, he was a heady guy, big time shot maker. 
uh, from three. And uh, but as a coach, you know this this year in particular, seeing him take over the reins uh, from the offensive standpoint, it's been fun to watch. You know, he's a really knowledgeable guy. He's fun just to chop it up with and, and talk basketball. And then you know I've been fortunate enough to be in on some of the the film studies and things of that nature where the team is you know preparing for games. And I've been really impressed with him on how he. Uh, commands the room and, and talks to the team and, and goes over, you know, game specific strategies. And uh, I think he's going to be one of those guys who's a, a fabulous coach uh, for a long time. And hopefully he's wearing the black and gold for as long as possible. But, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if down the road he, he's, um, you know, taking his talents uh, to bigger and better, you know, places because of his ability to be a great coach. But hopefully, uh, he's at Purdue for a long time, and that would be awesome. Yeah, I don't think it's going to last too much longer, to be honest with you. It's what everybody keeps on telling me, and it's one of the storylines I don't think we've been talking a whole lot uh, about because of you know the things that are obviously going on with this team. It's one of those things that fades to the background, but I think Boilermaker fans should be uh, cognizant of that he's just doing a great job of getting this offense going, and yeah, we're pretty lucky to have that guy uh, doing what he's doing right now. Bobby Buckets on the Blue Fox Eating Cooling Hammerhead Hotline with us. Again, make sure you check out him and Rob. They do a great job on the radio calls. Uh, make sure you check them out. Uh, you're going to have, a, what, a week off here or so, right? So you don't have anything going on for like about a week and a half. What are you going to do with yourself, buddy? Uh, well, Saturday we, we we got the Crimson Tide on yeah, Saturday that's right. in Toronto. And then, yeah, then I think we have a week off, and, and then we play Arizona in Indy. So, have you been brushing up on a... your Canadian? Are you brushing up on your <laughs> Canadian vernacular? Um, I have not been, but maybe I'll have to pick Zach Eadsbury here on the flight uh, to Toronto. So, you got to ask him what yeah, the good chirps are. You got to ask him what the good chirps are. You're up there in hockey country. You got to work on your chirps. Is what the is what the kids will tell you. All right, all right, good to know, <laughs> Bobby. It's always a pleasure talking ball with you. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks, Jared. A big thanks to Caitlin for being on as always. That's great. All right. So last night. I'm enjoying the the Purdue game, just like all the ins. And uh, there was a tweet that I responded to from the Boiler Express sh- uh, podcast. Shout out to all those guys over there. But uh, it was that graphic uh, with the start for Braden Smith because he's averaging it was like 12 points, six rebounds, seven assists, or something like that. It, it's crazy. And then comparing that, hey, Lonzo Ball did that. Denzel Valentine did that. Some good company to have. And, and I made this comment afterwards. I, I'll, I'll read, and I under I understand how people can take this as a slight. I said, you know, just one turnover tonight. Other stats are great. He just can't have six turnovers like he did on Friday. He's been improving in all these, in all every other aspect. He has to keep that number down. Don't care if he flirts with a triple double. He can be great here. Now, just a refresher of where I stand with Purdue basketball. Very pro. And where I stand on Braden Smith, underappreciated. I have said these things multiple times on this program. You've heard it. My point with that being was that Quite simply, he cannot have the turnover performance that he had on Friday night in Purdue expect to win. Now, other people pointed out, you know, it's just one game's turnovers. 
He's not the only one. Absolutely correct. He is not, and maybe the tweet suggests this, but he's not a turnover-prone guy. Right? I think he finished last season around like maybe like two and a half a game, something, two, two and a half a game. He's a little over that right now, but it's still early. And again, you have that outlier. But the, the, the point of emphasis on this is, because it's not, it is not just him, but I think we all agree that turnovers are one of your biggest problems this season. They were last season as well. And may very well be one of those biggest Achilles heels that Purdue has. Now, they have shot well enough and been good enough to not let that bite them in the rear end too much. 17 against Northwestern, that was the issue, right? But they got away with it against Tennessee with 16. They got away with it against Marquette in 15, 13 against Gonzaga. They are number two, I believe, in the Big Ten in turnovers committed and turnover margin, which is an even bigger problem. I mean, when you're talking 17 to 3 in the turnover battle, I'm surprised that you're able to at least get that to overtime. That's that's pretty remarkable. That's just how good they are offensively. And I don't mean anything as a slight. Those are all great stats for Braden Smith. And Boilerball put up a, a, a tweet about how nobody else in the country has got you know those numbers, point guard-wise. But the focus on turnovers for me and that assist-to-turnover ratio simply resides with the fact that as as great as he has been in those other categories, and that's what vaults him into that you know elite category here across the country. You know, when the national media wouldn't put him top twenty-five in a point guard. I mean, clearly showing them up. That's exactly what I told Brian Newbert on Friday when we talked to him. Remember, eleven points, eleven point seven points per game, seven point one assists, six point six point zero rebounds per game. My point with the turnovers being here and being more the primary focus is Purdue does not need Braden Smith to score uh, 11 to 15 points a game for them to win. They do not need him to have five, six rebounds a game for them to win. Now, they could use the seven assists a game. That is great. 29 wins last year. Braden Smith played it. 17 of those, he had single-digit points. You, you, you don't need, that's, that's why I have the focus on the turnovers. Because if that's going to be the big Achilles heel, and if Purdue is going to be Purdue's biggest enemy in the Big Ten, then I need to do, I need him to do everything possible to make sure that he keeps those down to, you know, three and under a game. And he has historically done that, but I don't think it's a stretch to say, yeah, he needs to continue to do that. As good as it is to see him go off for 19 points, 10 rebounds, and 9 assists, or whatever the heck it was. Like, that's nice, and it's against Texas Southern. It's nice, but when it comes to the Big Ten season, my big emphasis is he had two points last night, and Purdue rolled. It's nice to have his points. It's nice to have his rebounds. But my big thing is I, I, I need him to set the tempo and, and not have the turnovers there. 
especially against a team like Northwestern who doesn't turn the ball over. Because when you lose that margin by 15 possessions, it's going to be extremely difficult to beat good teams. Now, look, Boo Booey, you heard Bobby Buckets talk about this. Sometimes great players have great performances. There's only so much you can do. I am in no way attempting to diminish anything that that young man is doing right now because he's been fantastic. Outside of the performance against Northwestern, you can have bad days. We talked about this uh, with the overreaction. Purdue is going to have some games that they don't win. I don't expect everybody to be perfect. But if we found a fault with this team early on, it is the fact that they are turning the ball over. So I'm merely suggesting that the guy who leads Purdue in turnovers, and he will because of the position that he is playing, do everything that he can to mitigate those turnovers as my big point of emphasis for him. I don't think that's a crazy take. I'm not trying to to throw some crazy stats at you go, oh, well, if this happens, then, you know, it all goes south for Purdue. No, I'm just merely suggesting that uh, it's almost a bigger factor for me for him to keep those um, turnovers down as opposed to him scoring 11.6 rebounds because I think Purdue can win without those stats. They can't win if he doesn't take care of the basketball. But so far, he's done a good job of that this season outside of the Northwestern game when when he took on arguably the best guard in the Big Ten. He belonged on that preseason list. We all know that. I think Boo Booey, Terrence Shannon, Braden Smith are the top three guards in the Big Ten right now. Jameer Young's in there because he's been solid and he's here for, like, what, his eighth year now? I take Braden Smith over him. But you go back through these last four Purdue losses, turnover columns, 17, 16, 16, 17. Like, that's that, that's that trend. That's the thing that worries me the most this year. Is the margin in the turnovers and specifically how high they've gotten for Purdue. Because I think if they're going to stumble, you will continue to see numbers like that in that turnover column. And that's the first thing that we are going to point to. It's one thing if we're just not having good shooting performance. But they've been too good offensively and defensively here. Throughout the course of this young season. But, again, you go back and you look. What do we play? Nine games now? And you've had double-digit turnovers in all but two of them. Iowa last night and Moorhead State. Nope, that just that, that that scares me. He's not the issue, and having Lance Jones certainly helps. I mean, did you not see how we beat the press last night against Iowa? I had no chance at that. That's going to help Brain Smith too in that turnover. It's something else that ha- that helps with that. So again. I apologize that came off bad. It's not my intent. It's just that I have a fear over the turnovers more than anything. And he is the first defense uh, against that number ballooning. All right, we're going to take a quick break here. We'll wrap it up next on the Hammer Down Show. On what-